Today's reading is from the book of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through to 20, and this can be found on page 1006 of the Church Bibles. Jesus teaches Nicodemus. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. How can anyone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. All those who do evil hate the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. This is the word of the Lord. Linda's going to come and start our series looking at encounters with Jesus and John, so let's pray for Linda now as she prepares to speak. Loving Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the word which brings life into our lives. We thank you for its message to us, uh, for all its guidance in helping us to live for you. And we pray now, Lord, that as we seek to understand your word better, that you would come by your spirit and minister through Linda to our hearts and minds. You promise, Heavenly Father, to renew our minds into the likeness and image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray that now you would speak through Linda's words into our, into our lives, that we may ourselves encounter you afresh this morning. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm hoping that you can hear me. I am switched on, I think. Yes? Sound Okay. Good, that's all right then. Well, as Matthew said, this morning we're beginning a new series, 
Uh, we've moved from the Old Testament into the New Testament. Um, it's just worth remembering that in our Old Testament reflections of the Psalms, we looked at what it meant to be human and to experience the full range of human emotions. Um, and we learned that the writer of the Psalms was very clear that God was in the midst of all of this, all the confusion of what it meant to be human. He knows us and understands us well. He loves us despite all our frailties. And it seems that the psalmist had a clearly relational view of God. This was not a God who stands afar off. This is a God who comes close and, and, and walks with us in, in all that we are and in whom we can be rooted throughout our lives. And that's very much the experience of the Old Testament. The people of Israel knew God to be, to some extent, close and concerned about them. But, of course, it's in the New Testament that we see the face of God and come to know him in a much more powerful, relational and intensely personal way because we have a chance to look at the face of God in the face of Jesus, his son. And through Jesus' life and ministry, as it's um, described in the Gospels attributed to Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, we get a picture of God's great loving mercy and purpose for all humankind and for all creation. And I think probably John's gospel, the fourth in the series, is the one we see that fully expressed. We see that best expressed. Why? Well, probably because John was an eyewitness. John spent most of his adult life Walking with Jesus on earth from that first encounter by the fishing boats through to Jesus' death on a cross and his resurrection, John went into the empty tomb. But even after, John's, uh, after Jesus' ascension into heaven, John spent the rest of his very long life, as we understand it, reflecting on all that he had seen and heard and trying to understand what that meant for him and for all people, and trying to communicate that for the benefit of the ages and the generations that would come. And that's why we have John's Gospel today and why it's so important. And if you look at the opening chapter of John's Gospel, you'll see John being very clear in what he says. He says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So in Jesus, amazingly, we see God face to face. And over the next few weeks, we're going to focus on several of the accounts in John's Gospel of those very personal, often intimate encounters that Jesus had face-to-face with individuals who either sought him out or who just happened to cross his path. And hopefully as we look at these encounters and reflect on them, we'll have a chance to reflect on what those individuals learned from that face-to-face encounter with Jesus and what we can learn from their experience for our own face-to-face encounters.
with Jesus. So today's passage introduces us to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is someone who's going to play a significant role in Jesus' life at various points along the way. He's mentioned not just once here in chapter 3, but also in chapters 7 and 19, as we'll come to see. So who is this Nicodemus? And why did John, the gospel author, choose to include Nicodemus' encounter with Jesus in this very early part of the gospel account? Nicodemus is a Pharisee, not a priest, but a well-educated and respected teacher of the Jewish faith, especially the law of Moses. So he's someone who's an expert in all the religious and cultural rules and regulations that applied to Jewish life day by day in Jesus' time. But he's also a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish ruling council of the time. So he's a leader, a political leader to some extent, among the Jewish people, a man with considerable power and influence in contemporary society, despite the fact that there was a Roman occupation at the time. And given Nicodemus's status, we can imagine how Jesus' activities in Jerusalem in the early part of his ministry, would have attracted his attention and concern. Jesus' actions and his severe criticism over the way in which God's temple had become something of a marketplace for traders rather than a house of prayer provoked bitter antagonism from many among the Jewish leadership, both the religious and the political leaders, who had much to lose from this sort of disruption But there were others among the leadership who saw in Jesus' words and actions something else, something that was not so provocative, something more godly. And I think they were puzzled and intrigued at what it meant. And Nicodemus was one such person. And in verse 2, we see him taking action in response to his puzzlement and his intrigue. He acts on his curiosity and he seeks Jesus out to ask him some questions and have a bit of a discussion. John records that Jesus, um, that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. And that may mean that Nicodemus was a little embarrassed about Uh, this encounter and therefore trying to be discreet and unnoticed given his status. Or other Bible scholars suggest that perhaps Nicodemus was really serious about getting an in-depth encounter with Jesus, which would have been impossible during the day when Jesus was out and about with his disciples, surrounded by crowds. The quiet hours of the evening would be an opportunity to have an in-depth discussion with Jesus. And so that's what he does. He seeks Jesus out and so begins a fascinating conversation between Nicodemus, an experienced teacher of the faith, and this unusual man called Jesus. So let's try and understand where Nicodemus was coming from, what his motivations and concerns were, And how Jesus opened his eyes through this encounter 
to a new stage in his faith journey. And if you want to have the text um, in front of you, please do. Nicodemus begins by addressing Jesus with courtesy, great courtesy, calling him rabbi, teacher. He acknowledges openly God's hand upon Jesus' ministry. But there's an underlying sort of implicit, how can this be in Nicodemus's opening words? It's as if he's saying, do you know, I don't really get you. I don't really understand. Who you are and all you are doing doesn't seem to fit neatly with all that I have learned and believe to be true about God and about faith. And Jesus honors this question. And he responds by saying that, well, seeing, recognizing God's kingdom, recognizing God at work in the world, is dependent upon being born again. Two words, simple phrase, born again. And I think we can imagine Nicodemus perhaps taking Jesus' words, born again, literally. And we can imagine him responding with a wry smile in verse 4 and saying, oh, come on. That's not going to happen, is it? How is that possible? To be born again when you're old. You can't go back. Physically, we can only ever be born once as a baby. And I can imagine Jesus smiling in response and saying, "Hmm, you're missing the point, Nicodemus. When I talk about being born again, I'm not thinking in terms of a second physical birth. We're on the same page here. What I'm referring to is a spiritual birth, being born again or born from above, which is another way of translating that Greek phrase, born of God's spirit, which gives breath and life to all. Well, that's clear, isn't it? But of course it's not. Nicodemus seems at a loss to understand what Jesus is saying. But how can this be? This is no clearer than the first explanation of being born again physically. It doesn't make sense, thinks Nicodemus. And maybe it's worth just thinking a little bit more about what Nicodemus's view of faith and belonging to a faith community would have been like in his time and place. For as far as the Jewish faith was concerned, Nicodemus believed that belonging to God's chosen people traditionally had a great deal to do with being physically born into the right family. What mattered was being a child of Abraham, being able to trace your ancestry right back to the earliest days of God's people. So when Jesus is talking about being born again or born from above, to Nicodemus, Jesus seems to be challenging this long-established view, a fixed view of who rightly belongs in God's family to God's people and who doesn't. And there's a challenge there for us because we too can very easily have fixed views about who is in God's family and who isn't. 
And it's something we need to be careful about. Jesus seems to be trying to explain to Nicodemus that God can take the initiative. He has the right and the power to take the initiative in matters of faith and belonging. And that entry into God's family and membership of God's kingdom is thrown wide open to anyone and everyone who responds to God's love not simply to those who come from a certain sort of family background or education or experience. And Jesus uses the picture of the wind blowing wherever it pleases, often in unexpected directions and with surprising consequences. He uses it as a a picture of how God's initiative, the wind of his spirit, can blow through individuals' lives, bringing them a new beginning a birth from above, and drawing people, often unexpected people, into closer relationship with God and into community within God's family. And of course, as we read through John's gospel, in each new encounter, we see Jesus drawing closer to himself the most unlikely people, the people who could not point necessarily to a strong birth line, not just those who were notionally part of the Jewish people, but those who were outside, those who were not part of the Jewish tradition. And that's the theme of John's Gospel and of all the Gospels. So when you think about Nicodemus's mindset as a well-respected and highly educated teacher of the faith, we can imagine how Jesus' words were a real struggle for him to get his head around. After all, it must have challenged his traditional knowledge and understanding of what it means to follow God. But in verses 10 to 13, Jesus speaks of a different sort of knowledge, a different way of understanding, not one that comes from human understanding, human theology, or religious practices, but from God himself from heaven, ultimately from Jesus. And it's significant that in the later part of his conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus points constantly to himself as the focus and source of this fresh understanding of faith. Because Jesus is the bridge that joins the two dimensions of God's world, the heavenly and the earthly. Jesus is both the Son of God and the Son of Man. And we find that in this passage. So if you really want to understand God's purposes in heaven and on earth, then it is Jesus who is the key. We need to focus on him. We need to listen to him. We need to encounter him. We need to walk with him on the path that he takes. And as Matthew said, Lent, the Lenten season, is that pathway to the cross. In fact, in this passage, Jesus even hints to Nicodemus that that's what lies at the end of the path. His own death upon a cross. I can't imagine that Nicodemus understood that at that point in time. But he would come to understand it over time. 
And Jesus is quite clever here because he draws on Nicodemus's understanding of the Old Testament stories. He makes reference to an incident which took place during the people of Israel's journey in the wilderness when they were suffering and dying. And the only salvation for them was when Moses, prompted by God, lifted up a pole with a bronze snake on it. And all who looked to the snake were saved from death. It's not a story you'll find in Exodus, which is where we traditionally go for the account of the journey through the wilderness after slavery in Egypt. But you will find it in Numbers 21. So here we have... Here we have Jesus drawing on what he knew Nicodemus would find familiar to try and explain what would come. Nicodemus was familiar with that Old Testament event, but he couldn't know that Jesus then would be condemned to die on a cross and lifted high in a similar way to that bronze snake so that all who believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. Later on in John's Gospel, we will read how Nicodemus sought to defend Jesus against his opponents in chapter 7 and how ultimately he travelled all the way to the cross with Jesus and together with Joseph of Arimathea arranged for the burial of Jesus, providing an empty tomb, and spices for Jesus' body to be embalmed after death. So this encounter that we're reading this morning between Nicodemus and Jesus is clearly the start of Nicodemus' own new birth at this stage in his faith journey. It's a new chapter in his faith journey. And we all have need of being born again from above, probably many times in our lives, to continue our own faith journey. So what do we take away from this opening encounter between Nicodemus and Jesus that has relevance for our own faith journey? Something that might encourage us or challenge us today. The first thing I'd point to is the value of asking questions the importance of seriously engaging with difficult issues and topics, questions for which there may not be easy answers, or when the answers that we do get challenge our existing understanding. That was Nicodemus's experience. He came and he asked the questions, but he didn't get the answers necessarily he was expecting. And he was forced to reevaluate his understanding of God and of faith and particularly to frame it against the person and the ministry and the mission of Jesus himself. And as we go through the uh, various encounters with individuals in John's Gospel, I think we'll see that Jesus loved to engage in discussion. He relished that sort of conversation about spiritual things. He welcomed and encouraged questioning however simple or misguided that question might seem to the questioner. 
Jesus challenged people to think more broadly and deeply by posing questions of his own. He often responded with a question to a question. He didn't give simple answers, but used questions, stories, and pictures to help people reflect for themselves and to understand more about themselves and about God's kingdom. Growing in faith for each of us can involve being brave enough to confront and grapple with difficult questions. Being ready to accept that we may not always understand everything now. In fact, we certainly won't. And that we may even have to set aside some previous deeply held beliefs to allow God to move us on in a fresh way just as he did with Nicodemus. We're currently running the Alpha course here, and one of the great benefits of the Alpha course is that it's a safe place to ask questions, however trivial or silly they may seem. And if you are following that course, I do hope you're making good use of the chance to ask some of those difficult questions. They're not going to be easy answers, but the very act of asking the question will help to grow your faith. And the season of Lent is a time when in our house groups or perhaps through some dedicated individual study or reflection, we can engage with those difficult questions, spend time with God and with his word, the Bible, and see how our encounter with Jesus can deepen our love for him and our understanding of what he calls us to. Matthew sent out earlier this week a list of Lenten resources. I would commend these to you if you're looking for something that might help you do that. A chance to grow in knowledge and wisdom and in relationship with Jesus, just as Nicodemus did. But there's another second aspect of Nicodemus's encounter with Jesus that we should perhaps pay close attention to this morning. And that's the way in which Nicodemus was encouraged to focus firmly on the person and mission of Jesus himself. Who Jesus is, what he does, what it all means. Everything in their conversation, if you look closely at it, points towards Jesus at the heart of all things. In his conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus speaks of God's initiative through his spirit, breathing life into all things. Jesus speaks of himself as coming from God. Jesus speaks of himself as bringing light into God's world to overcome darkness. Jesus speaks of achieving salvation ultimately through self-sacrifice. So in this encounter between Nicodemus and Jesus, we hear in Jesus' words a summing up of the essence of the gospel message. And it's not surprising that so often we quote verses 16 and 17 to capture that basic truth. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that all who believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John's gospel, perhaps more than the other three, places Jesus' life, death, and resurrection at the heart of all things, 
And John is the gospel author who gives us the most detailed explanation and theological reflection on who Jesus is, why he came, and what it means for us. So perhaps this encounter between Nicodemus and Jesus reminds us again that we too need to be firmly Christ-centered and Christ-focused in all our thinking and our doing, in our corporate worship, in our service of the community, in our sharing of the gospel with others, in our relationships with one another, and in our everyday living, in all that we are. Do we see Christ in each person we encounter? Nicodemus' encounter with Jesus was an encounter with the God of life and love. And John's Gospel suggests to us that it changed Nicodemus' heart and mind that day forever and set him on a journey where he couldn't know the final outcome and yet was faithful to the end. And perhaps our prayer this morning is that we too can encounter Christ here this morning, that God will also be at work in our hearts and minds to fulfill his purposes for us, and that we too will be faithful on that journey to the end. Amen.